The sensation of standing in the physical presence of objects in a museum, there is that sense of separation. Whereas something like sounds, uh, the sacred sounds of particular traditions especially, it has that way of breaking down those barriers, of letting you feel that you are feeling the same thing or something similar to anyone else who would have heard those sounds at any time in history. I'm Peter Manso, Lilly Endowment Curator of American Religious History at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History. Ambreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices, where we explore the beliefs shaping our world. Seven years ago, Peter Manso became the first curator of religious history at the Smithsonian, reflecting a growing realization that you can't tell the story of American history without grappling with religion. Every part of history is made up of humans and human concerns. And if there are human concerns involved, there will be religious ideas. There will be spiritual aspirations. Manso is quick to point out his public role is to educate, not proselytize. There is a difference between telling stories of the role of religion in American history uh, from creating religious presentations, uh, carving out space in a federal institution for religion to happen, rather than for telling stories about religion in American history. Um, the latter is essential to American history. The former is something that you would want to avoid in, in a federal institution, but probably in, in most uh, public facilities serving wide audiences in any case. During the holiday season, he saw an opportunity to use sound and musical traditions to get people thinking about religion in, in, in more complicated ways. And by complicated, he is talking about the notion of religious majority. Uh, to complicate the notion that there was ever anything, uh, that there was ever a single faith that was monolithic in American history. This is important to Manso because myths distort understanding. What looks to be monolithic from the distance of history uh, is itself made up of many strands of various traditions that are blending together in interesting ways. And if we complicate that notion that there was ever a majority, then I think we really start to get to just the the, the complexity um, and the really fascinating diversity that has been part of American religion from the very beginning. He traces the myth of the monolith to a different problem, excluding some while counting others. Who are we talking about? What religious diversity looked like early in America and what people regarded as religious diversity is something different than, than what it is now. A lot of that has to do with who we're talking about and how they are counted. Uh, so if we're talking, for example, about a majority Christian nation uh, at the founding uh, of the Republic uh, in the late 18th century, uh, you're not talking about uh, the vast populations of the enslaved, for example, who have brought their own religious traditions with them, um, who in some cases have lost those traditions, in some cases have blended those traditions with the traditions that they've been exposed to in this new environment. Uh, you're not talking about Native American populations who are being... Uh, pushed ever westward or kept on reservations. Uh, you're not talking about those people whose experiences we rightly now regard as part of the American experience. 
To get that full, complicated picture of American religious history, Manso encourages us to look through a wider lens. Religion is not something that merely happens in houses of worship at a particular time. Uh, religion happens in people's lives in the same way that, that culture does. And this is why music is so important to Manso. In this week's special episode, we feature recorded performances from the 2019 Sounds of Faith concert series, performed live on December 8th at the National Museum of American History. Between selections, we will include more from my conversations with Dr. Peter Manso, Cantor Ari Brown, and Dr. Hussein Rashid, religious literacy consultant who delivered the guest lecture for the Jazz and Islam program that were part of the Sound of Faith series. We turn now to the concert where Manso introduces the first performance celebrating the ancient festival of Kaleida. We're going to begin with an ancient tradition that has origins in the Slavic region dating back before Christianity spread throughout Europe. This festival known as Kaleida united communities through the worship of ancestors in order to evoke the promise of rebirth. Traditions associated with this holiday later became part of Christmas expressions in Bulgaria and throughout Eastern Europe. Ceremonies in this tradition linked humanity with the natural order and the sun and the maternal earth through the mediation of women. Young women often foretold their fortunes, which were believed to be linked to the fortunes of the villages and the fields that surrounded them. One of the most important elements of this holiday was singing, and specifically the singing of women, who had the unique ability to cast off darkness and bring light with their voices. To introduce us to this tradition this morning, we are really honored to be joined by the premier Bulgarian vocal ensemble here in the Washington, D.C. area, Orfea, and they are led by their artistic director, Tatiana Sobrinska. In this next song, there is a beautiful girl named Milka, and Milka's uh, beauty is known far and wide because her mother has been boasting about it. She has been boasting about how beautiful Milka is and how stylish she is, and this news has traveled all the way to the Koleda marketplace in Istanbul where there's a merchant named Marco. And uh, Milka has gone to this market and she has met Marco when she has bought silks and gold and silver that he is selling. And they've sort of, they've sort of flirted and maybe hit it off a little bit. Um, and so she goes again to the market and she's uh, boarding his boat and he is sort of making this announcement. Everybody come and buy my, my beautiful wares. And she gets up on the boat and she's going to, to buy this silk. And, uh, and they, they really just hit it off. And he sails away with Milka and they sail away together into the sunset. This is Hubava Milka. <coughs> Cool, 
Tergovets, Ekuladeli, Moikuladeli, Marichi, Kupima, Kosia, Kakva, Kopa, That was Orfea, a women's vocal ensemble dedicated to preserving traditional music from Bulgaria and Eastern Europe. From pagan folk songs, we now turn to the next performances featuring selections of Yiddish and traditional Hanukkah songs from around the world, performed by cantor Arian Brown. She's a formally trained Jewish musician who leads congregations in songful prayer at Addis Israel, a Jewish congregation in Washington, D.C., here she is performing a traditional Hanukkah song in the ancient Ladino language. Una candelica, dos candelicas, tres candelicas, cuatro candelicas, cinco candelicas, seis candelicas, siete candelicas, ocho candelas para mí. Muchas fiestas por hacer, con almendricas y la miel. Muchas fiestas por hacer. Una candelica, dos candelicas, tres candelicas, cuatro candelicas, cinco candelicas, seis candelicas, siete candelicas, ocho candelas para mí. Los pastelicos voy a comer con almendricas y la miel. Los pastelicos voy a comer. Una candelica, dos candelicas, tres candelicas, cuatro candelicas, cinco candelicas, seis candelicas, siete 
I sat down with Cantor Brown to learn more about the traditions and discovered her love of music began very early. When I was eight years old and was sent to Hebrew school, I went to the synagogue and I heard my cantor sing, and I was just completely in awe listening to him. And toward the end of the service, he invited all the children up to the bima, to the stage, um, to join him and, and sing some some songs we had learned in Hebrew school. And I just had the best time and uh, went home and told my parents I would be going to services every Shabbat. Um, and from that point in, I, I, I did. And I, I was able to really learn from singing with him on the bima and uh, increasing my knowledge and, and, and delving into what a cantor does. What role did music play in the singing play in your own kind of experience of faith. So the music is what drew me to Judaism. Hearing hearing the davening, the chanting of the prayers is what touched my heart and touched my soul. And that's what brought me in. Um, it brought me from a, a an upbringing of tremendous respect for the Jewish holidays, but not um, not a lot of observance of everything. I would say that the music is is what Always, that that was not just the initial what drew me in, but what always keeps me um, keeps me going. I asked Cantor Brown to describe the origin story of the Hanukkah ritual of lighting candles on the menorah. We'll light the first candle, and that will continue um, for eight nights and eight days. In the story of Hanukkah, um, there are there are two main themes: the miracle of the light. That at a time when our temple was destroyed and in shambles, and uh, the Maccabees fought this battle of the small against the mighty, they returned to their temple, and there was one little jug of oil, not enough to last very long. And the miracle is that the oil lasted for eight nights until they were able to get more. Music features prominently in Hanukkah. Uh, number one, uh, when we light the candles. So in the home, there's the candle lighting. There's a special melody for that. Um, and then there are some traditional songs that are sung after the candle lighting. How many songs are you, you, would you associate with Hanukkah? So that's actually an interesting question. There are a ton of short folk songs that are sung by kids. And in the home, there are a lot of children's songs for Hanukkah. I have a little dreidel and O Hanukkah, O Hanukkah in all different languages. And uh, there's a lot of folk music that's very accessible and short and easy to sing. Uh, there's a section of praises that we add on every holiday. And so I featured some of that and then looked a little bit more into some Ladino and some Yiddish music uh, that would that would highlight Hanukkah. There are Hanukkah songs from all parts of the world. Sometimes you'll find tunes from the Yiddish stage and the Yiddish theater that get adapted um, into a song. Um, there are songs from the Ladino tradition, a fusion language between Spanish and Hebrew. So it's an old form of Spanish with certain elements of Judaic uh, words and, and lyrics that make its way into it. Of the songs that you performed, which ones really kind of were your favorites? So the first section, I started with an introduction about um, holidays that feature light and about the fact that 
in uh, we see in many cultures at the darkest time of the year in December when the sun sets so early and there's a lot of darkness there are holidays that feature light um, and so the first set of songs had to do with candles and with light I always love including Yiddish so I would say my favorite from that section was Oi ir kleine lichtelach Oh you dear little candles um, it was a duet always wonderful to sing in harmony and uh, just a Yiddish folk song about the candles and all that they symbolize and that they they touch you deep in your heart Oi ir kleine lichtelach ir der That was Cantor Brown performing Oh You Dear Little Candles at the 2019 Sounds of Faith concert at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Coming up, we learn more about the role music plays in Judaism across generations and hear a performance from Afro Blue, a widely acclaimed vocal jazz ensemble at Howard University. This is Inspired. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. 
And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Inspired. We continue our special program featuring selections from the 2019 Sounds of Faith concert series, performed live on December 8th at the National Museum of American History. Let's return to my conversation now with Cantor Ari Brown, where she describes one of her favorite selections, Al Hani Seem. A liturgical piece about the miracles. Uh, there was a setting by Robbie Solomon that I believe just really highlights the joy of of the miracles of this season. So the lyrics come from a part that is in our service, Al Hanisim the Al Haporkan, for the miracles and for the wonders and for all of this that you, our God, did for us. Uh, we are we are grateful. Ta 
From folk songs about dreidels to liturgical pieces, Cantor Brown points out that music plays an important part of Judaism across cultures and ages. I would say that music is an important part of religion at every age, and certainly um, in the age of children or young adults or teenagers. And uh, to give you a few examples, uh, Sunday, before this Sounds of Faith program, um, at Addis, we had a big latka party sing-along where every grade had prepared a song, um, and they had learned the words, and they had learned the tune, and the the words were projected for everyone, and each each grade stood up and led it with with great ruach, with great gusto and and spirit. Music uh, adds to a communal spirit. Only music could draw us together that way, and children feel that. As children age and get older and study for bar and bat mitzvah, they learn um, some of some of our most ancient chants. They learn how to chant from the Torah scroll and from the prophets. From Cantor Brown's perspective, the music is not only important within the tradition, she sees it as a cultural bridge to the broader community. And I'd say at at the museum, that setting uh, is really prime for that because it's a place that people come to when they visit D.C. And I, I've seen each year while performing this set that there are people, there might be people who are there for it that sit in the seats, but there are people just wandering around the museum that hear music and they're drawn to it and, and they come and they listen. And it might be their tradition, it might not be, but they're drawn in by the music and it's you know they've been captured in that moment. And that cross-cultural exposure and engagement is reflected in the next performance by Afro Blue, the premier vocal ensemble from Howard University. Here they are performing Calypso Carol. Shepherds come quick, leave your sheep. Run to the manger while the world's asleep. Better listen to the angel and be on your way. Cause the Bethlehem baby be born today. Shepherds come quick, leave your sheep. Run to the manger while the world's asleep. Better listen to the angel and be on your way. Cause we bet the hand, baby, he be born today. La 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 la. Shepherds come quick, leave your sheep. Run to the manger while the world's asleep. Better listen to the angel and be on your way. Cause we bet the hand, baby, he be born today. La 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 la. Today. La 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 
fortunate to have Afro Blue, the premier vocal ensemble from Howard University here in Washington, D.C., and they sang a selection of songs drawing on gospel, jazz, spiritual traditions, and also Caribbean traditions. And they showed through their, their song selections the ways in which these musical traditions have developed over time. So particularly with the spiritual tradition, um, we see in early spirituals and going for even further back in the ring shout tradition that arises uh, among enslaved peoples of uh, singing, singing songs, often drawing on the content of Christianity or and the Hebrew Bible, uh, but blending them with West African rhythms and melodies. And so you see in those moments um, the, the 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 crucible of American culture. The metaphor of the crucible is a powerful one in American culture, especially for groups who have been historically not counted. Yet, Manceau is quick to challenge the notion that our complicated history is simply a case of one group silencing the other. I think that we have a tendency to think of the interaction of majority and minority cultures as being simply that the majority is a steamroller, and it just it just wipes out those other smaller cultures it comes in contact with. The reality is much more interesting. Uh, they're changing each other in ways we can notice and we can hear, and, and also in ways that, that um, can be forgotten over time. And only when you take the time to, to look for those mutual influences can you really find them. That was Peter Manso, Lily Endowment Curator of Religious History at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Coming up, we hear selections from the Smithsonian Jazz Masterworks Orchestra, led by Charlie Young. This is Inspired. Stay with us. Welcome back to Inspired Special Episode, featuring the 2019 Sounds of Faith Concert Series, performed live on December 8th at the National Museum of American History. We've heard Bulgarian music with pagan roots, Sephardic Hanukkah music, and gospel songs. Now we turn to the evening program, Islam and Jazz, performed by the Smithsonian Jazz Masterworks Orchestra, led by Charlie Young. The evening kicked off with a talk by Dr. Hussein Rashid, a lecturer at the New School and an expert on religious literacy and cultural competency. I sat down with him after the performance and asked, why knowing the history of music matters? When we listen to jazz and we don't recognize the ways in which spirituality, religiosity, whether Christianity or Islam has played a role in it, it becomes flat. We're looking at the technical aspects. These are all amazing things, but the time and the place in which they're created 
what it is the artists are struggling with. That gives us a more appreciation of where that music is coming from. It gives us an appreciation of where we're coming from as a people, as a community, as a nation, and where we could go as a people. For Rashid, that matters for all genres, not just jazz. When we get these new musical art forms, thinking about jazz or punk or hip-hop or even rock and roll, that these were coming out of a sense of anti-racism, that there were places where people could come together regardless of what their racial standing was and try to imagine a new world. But the struggle for me comes in when you realize how these art forms are then appropriated and commodified and we're really not breaking through the racial structures that really underpin our nation. My greatest hope is that every time we engage with these musics is that we're always thinking about the possible rather than retreating into what already exists.
piece we just heard was composed in 1977 by the musician Abdullah Ibrahim, also known as Dollar Brand. The Hajj, or The Journey, takes its name from the pilgrimage Muslims make to Mecca. Rashid's lecture touched on the interplay between politics, identity, and power. I asked him to explain why. Everything we do is political because it's always based on questions of power. Who has power? Who, who can afford not to hear certain things because they're in positions of power? So yes, I think all this music is political. And I think it's all political because it is a power differential. When we look at any art form, it is always about trying to lay a stake to one's humanity. It's always trying to express one's position in the world and trying to hold on to or reclaim a sense of humanity in overwhelming power. I think that you have an environment, a a racial, a political environment in the United States that makes the emergence of these art forms necessary. At the same time, that doesn't mean it's not joyous and aesthetically pleasing to the people who are creating it. Joy in and of itself is an act of resistance. Uh, To claim your own humanity when people are telling you you're not human is an act of resistance. When we engage with this Western musical canon, I am hard-pressed to name major American art forms that don't come out of marginalized communities, particularly African-American communities. If you think about blues, if you think about jazz, if you think about R&B, rock and roll, hip-hop, these sort of quintessential American forms... They're not white Western musical forms. Mm. They're coming out of the African-American community. I think if an educator is looking at any cultural production, the question is, are you looking at it as a piece that sits by itself, or are you looking at it as a piece of social history? And if you're looking at it as a piece of social history, then you really have to get into that social history. It's not just the history of a person. It's the history of communities that are interacting. Music for me is probably one of the most important art forms we have because it's a generational art form. It's passed on orally. You don't need books. It's carried in your head. And lyrics may transform, but sounds are fairly well preserved over time. Um, And so it's something that we can trace a little bit better. And so for me, music tells a really great history of America uh, and the complexities of what it means to be American. We need to be asking the right questions about it.
Peter Manso wrestles with the complexities of how to deepen understanding as an educator and as a curator at the museum, but sees something especially powerful about sound. We were really trying in the museum world to to make it so that museums are are not necessarily quiet places where you can only um, go and not touch things, <laughs> but rather uh, places where you can go and feel touched by experiences. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about objects. And one of the things I love about the power of objects is that they feel to me sometimes like time machines. You stand in front of an object and you know that others th- throughout history have stood in front of it have considered it, have wondered what it might mean to their lives. And songs, too, have that quality, that quality of, of, of allowing you to feel that even as I am having this individual experience of hearing a song, of really feeling it, of understanding, even in a way that you may not articulate to yourself, that others have had that experience, that it is this moment of being... Um, being yourself, but also being part of this community. And, and music has that way of, of allowing you to feel that in a way that is, is really unique because it's not, um, it's not dependent on being any particular place or seeing any particular thing. It is this immersive experience that allows you to be at once yourself and this part of a vast history and community. Just as we talk now, I'm realizing that it's not uh, dependent on it being live music because radio, of course, does the same thing. That was Peter Manso, curator of American Religious History at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. We are closing this week's episode with We Three Kings, performed by Afro Blue, the premier vocal jazz ensemble from Howard University. Gold I bring to crown him again, keep forever ceasing, never over us all to That's all for this week's episode of Inspired, where we explore the beliefs shaping our world. To learn more or hear the full two-hour concert, visit our website at interfaithradio.org. A special thanks to the Smithsonian National Museum of American History and all the performers featured in this week's episode.
You can hear this episode via podcast wherever you listen. This week's producer was Kevin McCarthy. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. See you next week. Thank <laughs> you.